Okay, Google, what does a SEO analyst do? According to Comarketing, the SEO analyst is responsible for implementing SEO and social media strategies for clients. And what SEO analysts can quickly understand and support initiatives that will contribute to the goals and success of client campaigns. Okay, Go okay Google, what does a UX researcher do? According to Cheone, in UX research, you apply various techniques in order to add context and insight into the design process. Okay, Google, but what in the world does any of that even mean? We'll be right back. Welcome to the TalentCast. I'm your host, James Ellis. This podcast has one simple goal, to change the conversation around recruiting, employer brand, and hiring. Simple as that. The only way we can do that is by making this a 100% no-pitch zone, meaning no one's making any money, no one's giving any money, nobody's sponsoring anything. So please come join us, come learn, come engage in this conversation, come grow our industry with me. Uh, if you want to talk to me, I'm on Twitter, at The War for Talent, or you can look at our website, thetalentcast.com. Otherwise, let's get to it. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here at The Talentcast. Uh, yeah, that was a weird in experiment and introduction, right? Um, <laughs> I want to talk today about entry-level people and ent entry-level talent. But before I do that, just a reminder, I'm going to be at Social Recruiting St Strategies Conference uh, this week. This week, that's right. I'll be there Wednesday night, Thursday, and most of Friday. I'm taking a late night fl Friday flight out. So if you find me, say hello. Bug me, annoy me, whatever. Otherwise, I'll be at RecruitCon in April and, or in What's the, well, anyway, I'm an ERE and RecruitCon. One of them's in May, one of them's in April, and for whatever reason, I can't remember which one's which, or I'm always switching them around, but whatever. Let's talk entry-level talent. So I bring this up. I, I, I'm thinking about entry-level entry talent because my little sister, not my little sister, my wife's sister, uh, Mona, who I've talked about in presentations all the time, especially when I talk about millennials and how people job search, she sat on, or lived on my couch for three months when my wife went back to work after we had our kid, which... Thank you, Mona. That was very helpful. That was very sweet. But it was, she just graduated college. She wanted to move to Chicago. She didn't know what she wanted to do. She was fish out of water. She had no experience, no frame of reference. She was a little bit lost. And she was thrilled to have someone who could just talk her off that ledge when the 100th job application she would send that day would fall on deaf ears. Anyway, that was three years ago. And Mona, who doesn't listen to this podcast, so I'm going to say, hey, Mona. Hey, Mona. Um, Three years has passed and she's had some pretty mediocre customer service jobs. Now, Mona is great. She's smart. She's dedicated. She wants to do good work. She wants to help out. She wants people to like her. She wants people to get value out of whatever she's doing. But she has a history degree from the University of Wisconsin from Madison. No knock on the Badgers. I love me some Badgers. But they didn't tell her what a job was. They prepared her for graduate school. I went to the University of Texas at Austin. I have a poli-sci degree with minors in studio art and speech communication. That prepared me for, what, making speeches about political cartoons? No, I don't think you can pay the rent doing that. So it prepared me for exactly what I did, grad school, until I figured out that grad school wasn't teaching me anything and I had to get the hell out of there and figured out how to get my life started, right? That's some people's experience. No, knock on grad students. The problem is when we go searching for a job as an entry-level person, with a good degree, maybe a liberal art degree, or let's call it a non-specialized degree. Unlike, say, computer science or nursing, <laughs> uh, 
Um, most degrees are not there to help you get a job. They're there to help you learn and learn how to learn and learn how to think a little bit, but they do not prepare you for the real world. They're not there to tell you the difference between a UX researcher and SEO analyst, which for those of you know are radically different things, but how would you know? If you weren't doing that job, how would you know? And the problem is we know what a job is. And I mean we, meaning everybody who listens to this podcast because frankly, you and I think about jobs all the time all the time. Even when we don't realize we're thinking about jobs, we think about jobs all the time. And I have to ask this question, what in the world is a job? I know that makes me sound completely drunk and I'm not. I promise you. I'm not even high. I'm just well caffeinated as per usual. But what is a job? If you're an SEO analyst, that means you are someone who understands how search engines generally think, how they process information, and you know enough technology to say, these are the changes you should make to your website so they perform better against that benchmark of how a search engine thinks. That in of itself is pretty much gobbledygook to your average entry-level kid. I mean, I'm sorry I'm gonna refer to them as kids, but I'm 45 and they're all kids to me at this point. Love them, though I may, they're still kids. But none of that matters. What do you mean, how does Google work? Google's a magic box and you type in a thing and it responds with exactly the thing you want. It's magical, right? There's, there's rules, there's processes. What's an algorithm? And what do you mean I can change a website to be more responsive to the way Google thinks? Well, let's be fair. Not to, 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 to ding on an SEO person, because by the way, complicated job, if you do it right, it involves good analytical thinking. But what degree did you get to get that job? That, I bet if you interviewed 100 great SEO people, you would come and see that they would came from every different angle. They came from every different background, every different degree. No one degree prepared them better for that job than any other. You could have the, 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 the mythical underwater basket weaving job or degree and still get that job and still be great at that job because that job requires a little analytical thinking a little ability to read a book and understand how Google thinks about things and understand what HTML is and you learn. And an entry-level SEO person, that's all they need to know. They'll get better and they'll grow and they'll get really into the weeds of that stuff as they go. Someone with two years experience understands the concept of page page load times and the value of page load times and the value of having a, a mobile optimized experience relative to a non and understand what the relative values of making a change to the code might bear over time. But to be an entry level SEO person, and by the way, those jobs are everywhere, really just requires some basic attributes and willingness to learn. But we've called it a job. We've applied SEO analyst as the label. And we assume everybody has to come and be an expert at it, which is crazy. Because where would they become an expert at it? Same thing for UX researcher. Same thing for content marketer. Same thing for social media specialist. Same thing for account director or manager, depending on how you, you title yours. Um, these are all entry-level jobs with very, 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 very little technical skills that you would get in college. Yes, there's technical skills involved in social media and content marketing and UX, absolutely. But you didn't learn them in school. Chances are you did not learn the concept of 
uh, you know, you really didn't get into the weeds of dark posts in college. Now, granted, college may be different, maybe some social media classes, but by the time, and trust me, I do know some people who do this stuff, by the time they teach it in college, whatever they're teaching you is two years out of date and may no longer be true. So the fact that you had the social media class in college doesn't mean you're qualified or any better of a social media specialist as someone who had the underwater basket weaving job, who again is creative and analytical and willing to learn things. But we've labeled them as jobs, as if they're meaningful, as if the skill of being analytical, willing to learn a little bit something about how Google thinks or how Facebook thinks or how whatever thinks, and how to change your process and behaviors to reflect and perform better by those things, when did that become an SEO analyst or a US researcher or a social media specialist? And that's just in the media side and the advertising side. If you look at lots of other industries, when did you become an amazing customer service manager or customer service rep? We assume customers, anybody who can speak clearly can be a customer service rep, but trust me, it is a skill. You have to have certain traits to be good at it, and those traits do not come from college. Quick interruption. The goal here is to change the conversation around recruiting, hiring, and employer brand. The only way we can achieve that goal is with your help, and that is not with money, not with sponsorship. No, 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 no. It's to just simply share us and review us. Simple as that. Just review us wherever you get podcasts, share us on social media, say nice things about us or complain about us. That really is completely fair. Uh, That's all we really ask. That's all. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, let's get back to the show. So why do we call it a job? What is a job? Maybe even to be more specific, why does that job live in that department? Why does a UX researcher live in marketing and not product? Or if it does, why? Well, the answer is is because it always has. The answer is because there were 100 million decisions that were made before that job got opened that predicated the job be open there. And none of those decisions are public. None of those decisions are transparent. None of those decisions are available to the person potentially applying for the job. So if you're looking for a job and you are creative and analytical, how in the hell would you know where to apply? And thus we have the world we live in right now. And thus we have Mona three years ago. She applied for any job that had said apply. She didn't care what the job was. She didn't care what the title was. We told her, just apply for the damn things. Law of big number says someone will call you back eventually. And they did. The same is true for every other entry-level kid I've ever met who didn't have a computer science degree or a business degree from a school that rhymes with Schmarvard or Smamford. Okay? Most, I'm going to say, I'm going to go on a limb. 90% of kids who graduate go into the abyss and they just figure it out. They apply for anything that moves and whatever comes back to them is the first step on their path. Now, if your first step on a path is, I don't know, product manager or, or project manager or digital manager, digital, and, and by manager, we don't mean manager of people, we mean manager of, of, of themselves mostly or of deliverables, meaning you're responsible for making sure this thing gets done. That's what we mean by manager, right? Though, frankly, that's complicated in and of itself because if we say something is an ex-manager, do we mean a people manager, thus requiring five to ten years' experience? Or do we mean you're responsible for managing your time and yourself and your deliverable, in which case entry level is completely true? I hired plenty of content, man- content managers who were, this was their first job. Because they weren't managing people, they were managing content and they were managing expectations with clients. 
and that was something I could teach them. Thus, they could be managers. So the term manager is complicated. So if you think, well, if you figure out very quickly that manager could mean either one, you don't limit and remove the, the, the term manager from your consideration set. You could be applying for jobs that require 10 years experience and your entry level, and you're just going to spam the hell out of your systems, and your recruiter is going to tear their hair out, as they do always, and say, oh, this ATS is full of crap. It's not the ATS's fault. It's not the recruiter's fault. It's not the company's fault. It's the world's fault because we've taught these kids, we're not gonna teach you what, tell you what this job really is. The job description is effectively gonna be written in Latin. We're not gonna explain what the requirements really are or which requirements are real and which ones are just kind of would be nice if, frankly. Half of them are gonna be jargon you don't understand, but we're gonna presume you do. Best of luck. And the answer is they just spam the hell out of you and they hope for the best. So if all that stuff is based on industry precedent, and experience. How in the world do we expect the kids to understand any of this? How do we expect them to find a job outside the process of flailing like crazy people? Which is a technical term, please keep up. That's what they do, they flail like crazy people. That's what I did 20 some years ago, flailed like a crazy person. My first job out of grad school, <laughs> not kidding, I taught Windows 95 to people in a fly-by-night operation that <laughs> this is a time when there was no internet. This is 94. There's 95. There's barely any internet. And yet we were teaching people how to use uh, uh, Lotus CC mail, meaning email just inside the company that was localized. I was teaching park rangers, literally park rangers, how to use basic email. They paid me under the table. I think 22 years ago, I think I've passed law stat statute of limitations. Fly-by-night operation was the first job that says, yeah, we'll talk to you. And after that, it started me on a path that said, yes, you can get paid by knowing a little bit about computers and internet, and here I am. Imagine if my first job was customer service. Imagine if my first job was account manager. Imagine if my first job was anything else. Would I be here? No. That was the first step on a path, and while meandering and complicated, led me where I am today, for better or for worse. And since I had no understanding of what that first step would be, I was picking any first step. I had zero sense of ownership of my own destiny, so to speak. So I want you to see this situation as complicated and messy and completely unnecessary. Because while this is a problem, it's also an opportunity for you to hire an amazing entry-level talent. And I mean amazing. Or as the kids would say, Amaze balls. Yeah, said it. Enjoy. <laughs> I feel stupid just saying it. Um, the truth is, if these kids don't understand what an entry level job looks like, because why would they? And if they Google enough times, it's still it, Google just comes back with gobbledygook, as we saw at the end, as the at the beginning of this thing, that they don't understand these terms, and they don't understand these concepts, even though they might be amazing at those jobs. They might have exactly the right set of traits and attributes and passion and the willingness to learn the particulars of that job to do an amazing job day five, you're not gonna hire them because they didn't know how to apply for the job. Or if they, they did know to apply for the job, they were one of a hundred bajillion other resumes desperately looking for the job. And since it's very hard to show traits and attributes on a resume, because at that stage every resume looks the same, how in the hell are you gonna pick the good one? They're undifferentiated on both sides. 
the jobs are undifferentiated and so are they. And so how in the world can you pick a good one? Well, I'll tell you how. You're going to interview and have phone screeners with a million of them. You're going to spend a whole lot of time picking somebody and you're still got a 50-50 shot if that makes sense. Brutal. Man, that sucks. So here's my thought. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm not drunk. Um, I think the first step is you need to change specifically for entry-level jobs. You have to change your recs with the assumption that the greatest person for this job has never heard of this job title before. An amazing social media specialist, UX researcher, search engine analyst, ad buyer, media placer, uh, let's see what else, paid media uh, specialist, uh, they're also account manager, all these jobs, they don't understand what these jobs are. But the greatest person for this job doesn't understand what they are, so how are you going to find them? Well, you rewrite the job recs so they are designed for people who've never heard this job before. Most job recs presume you've actually heard of this job or you have a family member who's done this job and who can tell you, okay, so when they say this, what they really mean is this, 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 this. Right now, Mona's going through this process. Hey, Mona, you don't listen to the podcast. Uh, she's going through this process, and, and I'm, I'm stuck on UX researcher because we think she'd be a great one. She's diligent. She's analytical. She likes to put her head down for hours at a time, not to sleep, but to read and process and figure out where's the needle in that haystack. And the concept of not having to deal with people on a one-to-one -one level, but on a more theoretical researcher level and persona-driven level, it's like it was written for her. But she's never going to get that job. One, because if it wasn't for us telling her that job exists, she'd never have known. And two, because she's got three years of customer service experience, how in the hell is she going to write a resume that makes it look like she has any clue that she'd be great at that job? Because it's designed for people who already know what that job is. It's a catch-22 and it sucks. So don't do it. Don't play that game. So rewrite the job recs to focus on traits. You are highly methodical. You are highly chaos driven. You are highly run and gun. You are very passionate. You are willing to do whatever it takes. And, I, and those are some, some of those are pretty broad terms. But if you write it properly, you're going to find the right people. Anybody who's ever taken a personality test and, the, and the, a good one, one that really connected with them, and they read that and they go, how in the hell did you know that about me? Have you been spying on me? First time I took the Enneagram and the person I was dating at the time says, you are probably a five with a four wing. For those of you with Enneagrams, you understand what that is, but it doesn't really matter what it is. And she made me read the book the and then described the persona of a, someone with a five with a four wing. And I went, my God, I know this person. This person's me. Like this is like every one of my fears is written right here. Now, granted, this was 15 years ago. I'm a different person now, but it was like, oh my God, how did you know this about me? That feeling is how you need to write your job rec. Not must be certified in X, must have two years experience in Y, must know the following things because you're going to teach them that anyway. These jobs, knowing how to be a search engine analyst, how to be an entry-level search engine analyst, you're going to give them the book and make them read it and ask them good questions and make sure they understood what they read. And then you're going to put them side by side with someone who's done this job for a while and that person's going to train them up very quickly and that person could be amazing. No one expects someone to come out of school with any SEO knowledge whatsoever. So where do they get it? They got it by getting a first job and someone taught them that.
So just assume that rather than accidentally trip into that, plan for that. Build those kids. Don't find them because they don't exist. Build them once you find the ones who connect to the right trait. So rewrite your job recs to be trait driven so that someone reading it goes, and the right person reading it goes, yes, oh my God, that's how I wanna spend 10 to 12 hours of my day. That is the thing I want to become obsessed with now. Because that's who you want. Because if you can find someone who is so terrified of the future that they're willing to take every job and apply for any job, but you give them something to be obsessed about, you have just taken a rabid dog and pointed them in the right direction, and they're going to be loyal to you for a very long time. A very long time. They're going to be so thrilled that you helped them out. To them, it's seemingly magnanimous, but to you, you're like, well, gosh, that's a smart business decision, sure. But they're going to be so thrilled that you explain to them the things they did not know, that you removed an incredible amount of uncertainty from the process. Because by the way, it's all about removing uncertainty. That's, the, that's our jobs, whether we know it or not. And you will be known as the greatest place to get a first job, at which point, magically, every amazing kid is going to apply for you first. And if you can't figure out how to leverage great talent from that pool, I don't know what you're doing all day. This is how you position yourself to hire amazing entry-level talent and to create entry-level talent that stays for more than six to 12 months. That people who can be loyal, people who may walk away after two years and come back a year or two later when they go, oh, I just needed to see what the other side was. And they come back and say, yeah, 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 this is exactly where I want to be. Boomerang employees, by the way, are going to be a huge thing in the next. This generation is going to be all about boomerangs, right? You're seeing, I'm seeing that. You should be seeing that. Be very comfortable with boomerangs. Just because they walked away doesn't mean they're gone forever. <laughs> Keep that in mind. So you have to understand where they're coming from and communicate something to them that is useful. Communicating to them that they need whatever Google spouted off at the beginning of me, words that were gobbledygook to me, that's not what they want. They need to understand who would be good at this, how hard is it to learn, what sorts of people will learn it quickly and be good at it so that they can say, yep, that sounds like me. Then give them the chance to rewrite their application such that they can explain why they're very methodical or very driven or very will work 12 hours straight to kind of make something amazing happen. Whatever it is those traits are that you want them to have, ask them to communicate them. You're seeing that in like startup uh, job applications. Like I saw one, there's a company here in Chicago called Reverb. Hey, how you doing? Uh, Kent, how you doing? Uh, he doesn't listen to this podcast either. My friend Kent, who is a product manager, I think, at Reverb now or something like that. I don't know what Kent does. Um, but their application process asks, what instrument do you play? Because they're all about music. They're trying to highlight the traits. They're trying to ask crazy questions that should say, okay, who are you really? The, the resume is just a series of skills and experiences, but who are you really? And are you willing to be passionate about this thing and trainable for this thing and willing to give something to this thing? And that's what you want. You don't need to find the person who's good at this. You need to show someone they can be passionate about this thing and they will create loyalty. They will create real value very quickly. So that's what I had to say. Relatively short podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Um, you like the new drums? You like the new uh, music behind the intro and the interstitial? Um, yeah, I thought it was a nice change of pace. Anyway, I will see you next week. Oh, that's right. I'm going to try and record the next one live from Social Recruiting <laughs> Strategies Conference. I'm not sure how. I've said it like three times, so I guess I have to figure it out. So 
Uh, yeah. So there you go. Otherwise, I thanks so much for listening. I will talk to you next week and have a great week. Bye. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.